This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. In this episode, we're talking about the Havana Syndrome and UFOs. That's correct, the Havana Syndrome and UFOs. Now, in a minute here, we'll get into exactly what the Havana Syndrome is. We'll talk a little bit more in detail about some of the injuries that people have suffered who have come into contact with UFOs. And specifically, we'll do a little bit more of a background on this Professor Gary Nolan, who really kind of blew the story wide open. Now, the first article we've talked about a little bit before, but I want to bring you up to speed on everything with the story. It comes from the NewYorkPost.com, dated December 12, 2021. And it's off talking about Professor Nolan. It says his involvement with UAP began after he was asked to use his blood analysis instrumentation to help with cases of pilots who were close to alleged UAPs and horrible brain damage. When asked if he could describe the more abnormal effects on the brain, Observed with MRIs, Nolan said, if, you're, if you've ever looked at an MRI of somebody who with multiple sclerosis, there's something called white matter disease. It's scarring. It's a big white blob or multiple white blobs scattered throughout the MRI. It's essentially dead tissue where the immune system has attacked the brain, he continued. That's probably the closest thing that you could come to if you wanted to look at a snapshot from one of these individuals, you can pretty quickly see there's something wrong. Approximately 100 patients, mostly defense or governmental personnel or people working in the aerospace industry, were analyzed, Nolan told Motherboard. Now, that's pretty fascinating, but it doesn't really get into the nitty-gritty details of what this professor found. And we're going to explore that further and we're going to get into the really strange part of it. So this article can be found at vice.com. Looks like it's from Motherboard, uh, written by Toby Campion. Title says, Stanford professor Gary Nolan is analyzing anonymous materials from UFO crashes. I have to warn you, this article is just packed full of revelations. Unbelievable. It begins by saying Dr. Gary Nolan is a professor of pathology at Stanford University. His research ranges from cancer to systems immunology. Dr. Nolan also has spent the last 10 years working with a number of individuals analyzing materials from alleged unidentified aerial phenomenon. And that's materials that's either ejected or parts of UFOs. And we'll find out later, mostly what he says he's been working with is this, this ejected material. It says his robust resume, 300 research articles, 40 U.S. patents, founding of eight biotech companies, and honored as one of Stanford's top 25 investors, makes him easily one of the most accomplished scientists publicly studying UAPs slash UFOs. This guy is something else. I think he even has his own lab named after him. It says, uh, Motherboard sat down with Gary to discuss his work. It has been edited for length and clarity. And of course, I believe this interview first took place in 2020, and they came back and they followed it up in 2021. 
Uh, I would highly recommend going to Vice.com and watching the interview. It's riveting. It says it begins by saying, uh, "Dr. Gary Nolan, I've always." They ask him, "How long have you been? How long have you had an interest in UAPs?" And he says, "I've always been an avid reader of science fiction, so it was natural at some point." that when YouTube videos about UFOs began to make their rounds, I might watch a few. I noticed that this guy at the time, Stephen Greer, we've talked about Stephen Greer, retired uh, ER uh, medical doctor. Stephen Greer had claimed that a little skeleton might be an alien. I remember thinking, oh, I can prove or disprove that, and so I reached out to him. I eventually showed him that it wasn't an alien, it was human. Now, you probably remember this from, um, that's been a couple, three years ago, uh, Dr. Greer had this little, uh, like, tiny infant-sized skeleton, I don't know, maybe like a few inches long or something. I think they'd found down in the, uh, was it the Akatama the Desert there, I believe in Peru, and it had this elongated skull, uh, the ribs weren't quite right on it, it was very strange, it looked like a little tiny baby alien, and he's the guy that ran the test on it to show that it was actually a human, but it just had some... Um, uh, I hate to use the word deformity, but it, it just had some it had some mutations uh, in the skeleton that, to make it look the way that it did. But it was not an alien uh, from what he could tell. So anyway, it goes on and says, and so I reached out to him. He eventually showed that it was an alien. It was a human. We explain a fair amount about why it looked the way it did. It had a number of mutations in the skeletal genes that could potentially explain the biology. The UFO community didn't like me saying that, but, you know, the truth is in the science, so I had no problem just stating the facts. We published a paper, and it ended up going worldwide. It was on the front page of just about every news, major newspaper, and what's more appealing or clickbait than Stanford professor sequences alien baby. That was really uh, quite a big story at the time. He says, now this is the important part here. This is what draws this professor into this whole uh I guess you would say collaboration with the intelligence community, deep state, whatever you want to call it, to find out what's going on with their employees who have been exposed to UFOs and UFO material. He says, that ended up bringing me to the attention of some people associated with the CIA and some aeronautics corporations. Now think about that. These people are paying attention to this scientist sequencing this little uh, skeletal remains that Dr. Greer was was uh, showing around trying to determine whether or not it was alien. So for all of the government uh, denials, for all of the mainline uh, news telling you that you're crazy if you think UFOs or aliens are a possibility, these guys are closely monitoring what's going on out there. They really have their finger uh, on the pulse. It says, that ended up bringing me to the attention of some people associated with the CIA and some aeronautics corporations. At that time, they had been investigating a number of cases of pilots who had gotten close to supposed UAPs and the fields generated by them, as was claimed by the people who showed up at my office announced one day. There was enough drama around the Atacama skeleton that I had basically decided to forswear all continued involvement in the area. And look at this guy... He's got patents. He's started. I read somewhere that he had started multiple corporations, which he sold for nine figures. If you do some research on this fellow, you find out that he is—he's just genius level IQ. 
And even he seems to be uh, put off by the depersoning that happened after he waded into this, uh, you know, into this question of whether or not the skeleton was of alien origin or human origin. So even investigating the possibilities puts a person, even at this extreme high social status, at risk of being depersoned. So again, he says, there was enough drama around the Atacama skeleton that I had basically decided to forswear all the involvement in this area. Then these guys showed up and said, we need you to help us with this because we want to do blood analysis. And everybody says, you've got the best blood analysis instrumentation on the planet. Well, that's because he built his own blood analysis machine. I mean, when I say this guy is is a super high intelligent, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. Then they started showing the MRIs of some of these pilots and ground personnel and intelligence agents who had been damaged. The MRIs were clear. You didn't even have to be an MD to see that there was a problem. Some of their brains were horribly, horribly damaged. And so that's what kind of got me involved. So that's going back to the the, uh, the segment we read from the Post, where he talks about these people looking like they've got brain injuries similar to what would happen by somebody who had been suffering from MS, where the immune system's over-responding and creating scar tissue in the brain. So that leads us to ask, well, how did these, you know, these people all have one thing in common. They were exposed to UFOs or UFO metamaterial. What's going on here that would cause that to happen? He goes on and says, does the Department of Pathology at Stanford have a track record of pulling practical jokes on you? This question to me, man, it's just like, what are you guys thinking about? You've got, you've got probably one of the top few hundred smartest people on the planet who has agreed to sit down with you and have a discussion about UFOs and aliens and his research into that subject. And your second question is, does the Department of Pathology at Stanford have a track record of pulling practical jokes on you? To me, this is a clear case of deflection. This guy was really getting into the weeds on this stuff, and it's almost as if uh, the person that's interviewing him uh, is afraid to even talk about this stuff, and he asks a silly question. He goes on, he says, I thought it was a practical joke at the beginning, but no, nobody was pulling a practical joke. See, he comes the, now. Nolan comes right back to the meat of the matter, and just as an aside, the school is completely supportive, and always has been of the work that I've been doing. This guy is cutting him off at the pass. He sees this little kind of vague attempt, all Matt. It's, this is right out of the depersoning handbook. Uh, well, could this be a joke? And he's like, no, dude, I've got an IQ of like 220. This is not a joke. They support me. So here you have the interviewer, who is probably at best at average IQ, talking to somebody who quite literally probably has an IQ that's at least double his. They say, I, I'm not sure what the, what the exact range is, but at a certain point they say when one person is so much more intelligent than the other person, it's not even possible for the two to have an intelligent conversation. This guy is so smart, it's almost be, it'd almost be like if you and I are talking to like a five or six year old kid. Imagine, this guy built his own blood analysis machine. He's, he's built multiple companies, multiple patents, dozens and hundreds of scientific papers. And the question is, 
does Stanford have a track record of pulling practical jokes on you? Yeah, right. Yeah, we got all this government funding. I'm working with the CIA and all these intelligence agencies. I'm investigating uh, people who have been injured by UFO metamaterial that they've been working on for the deep state. And um, we just thought we'd have a joke about it. Man, that's just crazy. It says, when the Atacama thing hit the fan, they stepped in and helped me deal with the public relations issues around it. Well, what he really means there is, when I sequence the DNA on this little infant skeleton from, you know, hundreds of years ago, proving that it was actually just a mutated uh, gene involved with this, this little person, and it was actually not an alien, we got that settled up, the university stepped in and did their best to prevent me from being depersoned. You have, you have a guy here, he's high value. High social standing, but high value. I mean, how many people do we know that could build their own blood analysis machine, you know? This guy is super intelligent. Like I said, he has his own research lab named after him. And you're going, as a, as a journalist or some a debunker dope online, try to deperson this guy? Come on. It goes on and says, Are you able to mention which folks from the government departments and other than aeronautics approached you? He says, No, I'm not. Well, if you ever needed to know whether or not the deep state is a thing, there's your answer. This guy, with his high social standing, super high IQ, and all this productive uh, scientific research that he's doing, sold nine companies for millions of dollars. <laughs> Can you tell us who talked to you from which government departments? No, I can't. Can you describe the more anomalous effects on their brains you observed with MRIs? He says, if you've ever looked at an MRI of somebody with multiple sclerosis, there's something called white matter disease, a scarring. It's a big white blob or multiple white blobs scattered throughout the MRI. It's essentially dead tissues where the immune system has attacked the brain. That's probably the closest thing you could come to if you wanted to look at a snapshot from one of these individuals. You can pretty quickly see that there's something wrong. Now, this is what we said before. He says, how many patients did you take a look at in the first place? He says, it was around 100 patients. They were almost all defense or governmental personnel or people working in the aerospace industry. People doing government level work. Here's how it works. This part's great. Let's say that a Department of Defense personnel gets damaged. Let's say that a Department of Defense personnel gets damaged or hurt. Odd cases go up the chain of command, at least within the medical branch. If nobody knows what to do with it, it goes over to what's called the weird desk. Yeah, that's what he said, the weird desk, where things get thrown in a bucket. Then somebody eventually says, oh, there's enough interesting things in this bucket worth following up on that all look reasonably similar. Science works by comparing things that are similar and dissimilar to other things. Enough people were having very similar kinds of bad things happen to them and it came to the attention of a guy by the name of Dr. Kit Green. He was in charge of studying some of these individuals. You have a smorgasbord of patients, some of whom had weird noises buzzing in their head, got sick, etc. A reasonable subset of them had claimed to have seen UAPs, and some claimed to be close to things that got them sick. Let me show you the MRI of the brains of some of these people. Now, before we continue, I want you to notice something about that about what he just said there. He said that if enough people got sick, you, you would think 
that if you had a, a reasonable group of people in charge of investigating a UFO's hands-on or who had a group of subordinates who had had encounters or contact with UFOs or perhaps were even handling the material that was either ejected from UFOs or came off the ships or whatever, I would think as a reasonable person, you would want to monitor the health of those people constantly if for no other reason than to make sure that they hadn't come in contact with some sort of uh, terrible plague-like virus that might infect the rest of the world. But you would at least want to keep an eye on their baseline health. And if they seem to have encountered something that negatively affected them, you would want to help them immediately. I mean, as a human, as an empathetic person, you would want to look after your subordinates. But what does he say? Well, if enough things go wrong, then it goes up the chain of command, and then he, then it, eventually they get tossed in a bucket, and then it gets sent over to the weird desk. So people who have been injured by UFOs, their cases get sent to the weird desk. Even within the this catacomb of the deep state, they're depersoning their own employees who have become sick while investigating this UFO phenomena. They know they've come in contact with these things. They know they've come in contact with material associated with these things. But instead of really keeping an eye on these folks and trying to do take some preventive safety steps to keep them from being injured, they simply let them suffer whatever injuries happen. As he said, some of these are horrible, horrible brain injuries. Horrible brain injuries. But after they've had enough horrible brain injuries, which we don't know what enough is, then they're sent up the medical branch. Eventually, we get a few more horrible brain injuries. They're sent to the weird desk. And then after they're sent to the weird desk, where things get thrown in a bucket, he says. And then somebody eventually says, oh, there's enough interesting things in this bucket worth following up on that all look reasonably similar. My goodness, does that sound like a intelligent way to take to, to, to run a project where you can try to do your very best to guarantee the safety of your investigators? It just shows you how little the deep state cares about their even their own employees. It shows you just gives you an idea of the disregard they have for the sanctity of life and of human beings. If you think this group of people who care so little about their own employees that they don't even monitor their health until it reaches a catastrophic state, and even then they don't they don't even bother with them until there's so many of them that they can't ignore it anymore, and then finally they have to go out and find an outside expert like Dr. Nolan to take a look at them. How long were these people suffering with horrible brain injuries before finally somebody in these top secret programs referenced them to someone like Dr. Nolan to confirm what was going on. How many of their own employees just died because of lack of treatment? I, I want you to really I want you to really get a concept, to get an understanding of the callousness and the carelessness of these people. If they are that careless with their own employees, how can we entrust them with the secrets 
that they maintain over this whole UFO phenomena. If these UFOs, I'm not saying that they're all dangerous or they're all hurtful, but it looks like some actually are. And how can we entrust this deep state mechanism to protect us from such a phenomena? It's very concerning to me. Now it goes on here, it says, we started to notice that there were similarities in what we thought was the damage across multiple individuals. As we looked more closely, though, we realized that there can't be damage because that's right in the middle of the basal ganglia, a group of nuclei responsible for motor control and core brain functions. Now, this interview has taken, his response has taken a bit of a turn here. And I'm concerned that they might have edited part of it out because, you know, they talk about editing for clarity. He has pivoted from talking about the brain damage that these folks horrible brain damage, he says, that they had incurred, similar to this heavy scarring from uh, people who had suffered from NS. Now, he's pivoted toward a totally different um, a totally uh, different phenomenon that's happening in the brain. So we're talking about two separate things that happened here, and I, I don't know if the confusion was intentional or if it's just sloppy writing, but I want you to understand that before he's talking about this brain scarring, this tissue scarring, and now he's talking about something that's happening at the core of the brain functioning. And this is not such a negative thing. This could be very much a positive thing. So we have two things going on. We have this brain injury, and then we have the situation at this with the basal ganglia where there's a, some people have uh, significantly more nerve bundling going on, and those people uh, tend to do a lot better uh, with things like flying airplanes, so you would you would expect that in these pilots, things that that require high degrees of physical coordination and motor control, as it says. So just knowing that, I'll read the paragraph. It says we started to notice that there were similarities in what we thought was a damage across multiple individuals. As we looked more closely, though, we realized well that it can't be damaged because that's right in the middle of the basal ganglia, a group of nuclei responsible for motor control and other core brain functioning. If those structures were severely damaged, these people would be dead. That was when we realized that these people were not damaged, but had an overconnection of neurons between the head of the caudate and the putamen. The caudate nucleus plays a critical role in various higher neuro neurological functions. The putamen influences motor planning, learning, and execution. If you looked at 100 average people, you wouldn't see this kind of density. But these individuals had it. An open question is, did coming in contact with whatever it was cause it or not? Don't be confused here. There, it almost is like this article is trying to say, well, at first we thought these people had horrible brain damage, but then we realized that the UFOs showed up and actually improved their brains. Listen, the reason that they looked at these people in the first place is because they were symptomatic. And they were symptomatic of... of things very common with the Havana syndrome, which we'll look at very quickly. But what this is talking about is two separate groups. One group is injured very badly. These guys, however, have this uh, supercharged basal ganglia. And what we find out is some people are just born with that. So he says, an open question is, did coming in contact with whatever it was caused or not? For a couple of these individuals, we had MRIs from prior years. They had it. They had it before they had these incidents. To me, this is a confounding factor, okay? And this is why, uh, you know, in science they say, well, correlation does not imply causation. 
the correlation of these guys, of this, of this uh, minority group of people having this uh, supercharged uh, basal ganglia does not mean that they were injured by the UFOs or the metamaterial. That doesn't mean that, that, that the UFOs or the metamaterial caused them to have it. It looks more likely that some people are just born with this, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, better developed basal ganglia. And that makes sense because, like we said, those people were the, were the Air Force pilots, people that needed that part of the brain to be uh, extremely developed, just like they found with, with people who are taxi drivers who have to uh, know maps. Certain parts of the brain seem to be larger than other parts. So we still have to focus on the negative effects of the UFOs. What this means is this this basal ganglia being uh, the improved version, rather, people with that trait do seem to be more likely to be able to see UFOs. That's what they're getting at. For a couple of these individuals, we had MRIs from prior years. They had it before they had these incidents. It was pretty obvious then that this was something that people were born with. It's a goal, sub-goal setting planning device. It's called the brain within the brain. It's an extraordinary thing. This area of the brain is involved partly and what we call intuition. There you go. We've talked about this many times on the program. The observer effect, how sometimes even in a group of people, some people will see the UFOs, some people won't. And what we're thinking about maybe is that with certain individuals, this basal ganglia part of the brain is has more nervous bundles in there and perhaps that acts as some sort of antenna, some sort of receptor that allows those people to see uh, UFOs, or maybe even attract them, or whatever, when other people can't. So this is two huge things involving the human brain that that do correlate with UFOs. First, we have the uh, people that are injured by them, and then we have a certain group of people that seem to be more aware of them. Now he goes on and says, it's an extraordinary thing. This area of the brain is involved partly in what we call intuition. For instance, the Japanese chess players were measures were measured as they made what would be construct, construed as a brilliant decision that is not obvious for anybody to have made that kind of leap of intuition. This area of the brain lights up. We had found people who had this in spades. There, these are all so-called high-functioning people. There are pilots who are making split-second decisions, intelligence officers in the field, etc. Everybody has this connectivity region in general, but let's say for the average person that the density level is 1, most of the people in the study had 5 to 10 and up to 15 times the normal density in this region. In this case, we're speculating that density implies some sort of neuronal function. He says, then he says, did the people who claimed they had an encounter, especially the pilots, describe any perceivable decrease in neurological capacity? Of the 100 or so patients that we looked at, about a quarter of them died from their injuries. Think about that. Of the 100 or so patients that we looked at, about a quarter of them died from their injuries. That's a 25% uh, fatality rate. The majority of these patients had symptomology that's basically identical to what's now called Havana Syndrome. Now, I want to stop right there. I want to take, take you to another article to 
talk about the Havana syndrome, and then I'll come right back to this. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So this article comes from NBCNews.com. It stated, Havana Syndrome, symptoms and small group most likely caused by directed energy, says U.S. Intel pan of experts. It says injuries suffered by several dozen diplomats and spies were consistent with directed energy. The panel said about 1,000 people have reported symptoms. Now the article is by Ken Dillion and it's dated actually uh, February 2nd, 2022, so just about a year ago. It says the mysterious and sudden brain injuries suffered by a small group of American diplomats and spies overseas were most likely caused by pulse electromagnetic energy delivered by an external device. A panel of scientific experts working for U.S. intelligence agencies have concluded. Now, where do we hear about electromagnetic energy so much? Well, this is something that we often associate with UFOs. It says the panel's findings, while full of caveats, are consistent with what has been a long-standing hypothesis by intelligence officials that a foreign adversary, most likely Russia, so as the Russians, is responsible for at least some of the symptoms suffered by those who have fallen victim to what is commonly known as Havana Syndrome. The panel's conclusions are also consistent with a recent CIA interim assessment, which found that most of the 1,000 people who have come forward with possible injuries have symptoms that can be explained by other factors. The CIA assessment issued last month has ruled out what it called a sustained global campaign by a hostile foreign power to injure Americans. Let's reread this. The CIA assessment issued last month also ruled out what it called a sustained global campaign by a foreign hostile power to injure Americans. Well, if that's not the case, then why are you blaming the Russians? But it found two dozen cases in which it could not rule out a hostile cause, and those appear to be the cases the expert panel focused on. Well, you know, the the hostile power doesn't have to be of this world. Many of of those people are part of the original group of diplomats and spies who first exhibited symptoms in 2016 at the U.S. Embassy in Havana. That's, of course, why they call it the Havana Syndrome. Intelligence officials declined to say whether any recent cases are part of of the cohort of unexplained symptoms or whether they believe Americans abroad continue to be at risk. Well, they probably don't know. Intelligence officials familiar with the panel's work told NBC News that it did not consider the questions of who might be to blame for the injuries, only that the medical and technical evidence said about possible causes. Russia has denied any link to the Havana Syndrome. Then it goes on and says, The panel's scientific conclusions are likely to put a new spotlight on the theory that at least some Americans serving overseas were injured by an external force. A notion that many perceive the CIA assessments as having dispelled, a number of U.S. diplomats and spies who had reported suspected incidents had expressed dismay over the CIA's report, which was widely perceived publicly as throwing cold water on the belief that Americans had been attacked. Well, I think 
maybe for once they're telling the truth that this whatever's attacked them is probably so advanced that it can't be the Russians or the Chinese. No more than these UFOs that the military has filmed are Russian or Chinese. These things are off-planet, other-dimensional, however you want to put it. The panel's findings expanded on a 2020 report by the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine, which also found that pulsed electromagnetic energy, also referred to as microwave energy, was the most plausible culprit. The report noted that Russia has a long history of studying and developing the technology. It goes on, it says, intelligence officials told NBC News that the panel included a group of scientists and technical experts from both inside and outside the government who reviewed more than a thousand classified documents and conducted the most exhaustive study to, to date on the possible causes of Hamana syndrome. Then it goes on, talks a little bit more about it. Basically, when people that get this, um, they hear sounds, uh, they get vertigo, uh, they feel terrible. It seems like they're saying here they think it's electromagnetic energy. Some people believe it could even be caused by, by directed sound energy. Uh, the human hears that at what around 20 megahertz or 20 hertz rather. If that sounds directed below, I think it's around below 17, it could begin to cause injuries in people. Uh, or if if it, they direct it at over you know a certain level of hertz, it can also injure the human body. So. We don't know if this is, as I said, some sort of electromagnetic weapon, if this is some sort of uh, ultrasound weapon, but people really do seem to be have had effects from it. Now, it says Havana syndrome was believed to have emerged in late 2016 when U.S. diplomats and spies serving in Cuba began reporting bizarre sounds and sensations followed by unexplained illnesses and symptoms, including hearing and vision loss, memory and balance, problems, headaches, and nausea. Now, the human eye operates at, I believe, 19 hertz. So if you direct sound at somebody at, at a level below that, that could even cause them to have uh, you know, visual hallucinations. Uh, we don't... This, this brings to mind the fact that so many times when people see these UFOs, even my own experience, they seem silent. We don't know if they're actually silent or if they are emitting uh, sound at a level that is just not there for the humans to hear. I mean, think about it. As humans, we have a very limited range of sound we can hear. Your dog can hear at hertz that you can't hear at. So this, whatever is doing this could, could very easily be using uh, sound as a weapon. Over the years, many hundreds of U.S. officials have come forward reporting suspected incidents in more than a dozen countries, NBC News has reported. It goes on here. It's quite a long article, actually. It says, the report added, given this and in the interest of protecting the embassy and personnel and their families, it would be prudent to be vigilant against tactics intended to produce anxiety and trauma with an intent to either disrupt operations and or cause long-term harm. The U.S. government could minimize the effect of such tactics if present through open communication, education, and appropriate rapid medical response to any conditions that develop. Well, we can see from the rapid response that didn't happen uh, when they're investigating these UFOs, encountering them, uh, working with metamaterial, you might not count on the deep state to rapidly respond to your medical emergency. Now, I want to go back and finish up with this article from Vice, but that's just to give you kind of a, an idea of how present this Havana syndrome is. 
And it would make sense to me, these folks that are in the intelligence community, it, if they're doing something that involves uh, UFO research, UFO encounters, maybe there is this tit-for-tat thing going on between the deep state and you know one of these entities that we that we refer to as UFO phenomena. Uh, the possibilities there, because we see the same symptoms pop up in these uh, diplomats, these uh, intelligence assets, as we see in the pilots that encounter the UFOs, as we see in the people that are working for um, uh, the deep state, working for these aeronautic companies. Uh, quite openly, they said they're working. They're working with these UFO metamaterials, and a certain number of those people are suffering the same symptoms on both on both ends of it. It's as if they've been either uh, subjected to some sort of electromagnetic energy source or some sort of ultrasound. Now, this says, uh, did the people who claimed they had an encounter, especially the pilots, describe any perceivable decrease in neurological capacity? He says, of the 100 or so patients that we looked at, about a quarter of them died from their injuries. We covered that. The majority of these patients had some symptomology that's basically identical to what's now called Havana syndrome. We think amongst this bucket list of cases, we had the first Havana syndrome patients. Think about this. So if this came out in 2016, they're talking about it on NBC News, and this professor is telling you, we think we had the first patients. That tells me that he's been investigating these injuries since before 2016. Once this turned into a national security problem with Havana Syndrome, I was locked out of all the access to the files because it's now a serious potential international incident if they, if they ever figured out who's doing it. Oh, that's just mind-boggling. They took the smartest guy in the room, okay, so he's... He basically discovered the Havana Syndrome, okay, that was occurring with these pilots, these people who had encountered UFOs, these government employees who were working with UFO metamaterial. Dr. Nolan, he discovers the Havana Syndrome. He doesn't name it, but he discovers it. And then some, at some later point, people with the same exact symptoms are showing up in Havana, Cuba, and other places. They happen to be diplomats and intelligence assets, as soon as they put a name on it, and they say, instead of them saying, wow, I wonder if we have UFO encounters going on in these places where these injuries are happening. Instead of doing that, they immediately point the finger at Russia. And then, this guy here is doing his research completely separately, independently, back in the United States. He's locked out of the room. Does that sound like something intelligent that you would do? You're trying to solve a very complex problem. Uh, really deep problem and the guy who's been making progress on it the smartest guy in the room you lock him out of the room this does not give me a whole lot of, of, of faith and hope uh, in the future of how the people in charge are dealing with this thing it says that still left individuals who had seen UAPs they didn't have Havana syndrome they had a smorgasbord of other symptoms so that tells me that the people that are getting this Havana syndrome must be limited to the people that are actually touching the UFO or working with the metamaterial. And that might make sense. Maybe maybe our intelligence assets in these other countries 
I mean, that would be on the list of things to do, wouldn't it? But to be to investigate UFO crashes, UFO sightings, material that people brought you that was from UFOs. Maybe that is uh, where you encounter the injury at, is when you actually touch these things. It says, how does the impact of the electromagnetic frequencies factor into your hypothesis? Now, I'm going to finish up pretty quickly because this has been a really long podcast, but I have to include this. He says, with one of the patients, it happened on Skinwalker Ranch. Wow. You know, Skinwalker Ranch. I mean, people can say whatever they want to. They can try to debunk it. They can make fun of it because of the History Channel. But something's going on there. Given how deep into their brain the damage went, we actually estimate the amount of energy required in the electromagnetic wave someone aimed at them. We don't think that it was anything to do with UAPs. We think that's some sort of a state actor and, again, related to Havana Syndrome somehow. I have to totally disagree with that. Because the commonality I see here with the 100 people we've tracked is that they were all working with UFO metamaterial. Now, are you going to tell me that somebody was sitting outside each one of these facilities? He already told you that. Uh, these people work for the government, and they also work for aeronautic companies. We know that uh, the government loves to outsource this stuff. So somebody would have to have gone to each one of these labs where people are working on this stuff at, probably way underground somewhere, in a secure environment, I imagine, and blast these people with the electromagnetic waves. Or maybe track them down and blast them at home. I don't know. But that just seems so unlikely to me that a state actor would have the ass would have the capacity to do that. I, I mean I could be wrong, but it just seems it just seems implausible. Other than the MRIs, what technology were you using to analyze patients? He said we did deep psychological evaluation of all the people just to make sure that they were stable and we were not dealing with obviously delusional individuals. Well, I hope not. You've entrusted them to work on UFO metamaterial. My role in the initial project was analysis on blood using a device called Cytoff, which was something that I had been involved in the development of. The, per the problem was that we couldn't really conclude very much because many of the cases happened years before I ended up getting the blood. In other words, these people were injured and the intelligence community, their employer, did nothing for them. With an acute injury to be seen in some telltale signature, we need to collect within four or five the blood within four or five days or a couple of weeks, but blood from an individual a couple of years out will not be useful. What I told the people in the government is I needed access to their blood while well, the case is still acute. It almost seems like this situation got so out of hand, they were forced to seek out the advice of somebody smart to tell them what was going on. It looks to me like I think this has been a problem that's been kicked down the road for a long time. Is there anything man-made that might have this impact on the brain? Now think about this. The only thing I can imagine is you're standing next to an electric transformer that's emitting so much energy that you're basically getting burned inside your body. I'm going to repeat that. Is there anything man-made that might have this impact on the brain? The only thing I can imagine is you're standing next to an electric transformer that's emitting so much energy that you're basically getting burned inside your body. So what? The Russians have a mobile transformer-sized uh, semi-truck driving around blasting people? What happens to the people driving the truck? That just that, that, That's answer right there tells you that there's no way in the world 
that this is a state actor. Not with these people working on the UFO stuff, not with the folks, the, the diplomats, and the intelligence people scattered across the country. The commonality is they all work for the deep state. They're all uh, people that, that, that we know are, that, or that may be involved with some sort of uh, UFO shenanigans, and they've all been blasted. And they've been blasted by something that's so big that there's no way it's a human. The only thing I can imagine is you're standing next to an electric transformer that's emitting so much energy, you're basically getting burned inside your body. So in spite of everything Dr. Nolan showed these folks, in spite of the fact that he's the one that discovered the Havana Syndrome before it was even named, in spite of the fact that he's the most qualified person to investigate what's going on here, as soon as the deep state realized that this thing had hit the public press, he was locked out of the room. Until next time, this is UFO Warning. Over and out.